welcome back to the Brotless podcast. As usual, I am joined with Nathan and on this week's episode, we have a defeat at home to Hull to discuss. But on a lighter note, we do have a win away at Swansea to discuss as well. Uh, obviously, as the continuation of all these problems rolls on, we'll also uh, talk about an update from Michael Carrick, finally, on some of the injured players. And also, we've got uh, the small matter of a, a Carabao Cup quarter-final to look forward to and then straight back into championship action on Saturday, Nathan. Everything's coming thick and fast at the moment. And... If you'd have asked me after Tuesday night, or Wednesday night rather, uh, if it was an enjoyable period to be a Middlesbrough fan, I would have said absolutely not. But like any other football fan in the country, uh, one win has just changed my outlook on everything. And I firmly believe we are back, Nathan. After quite the long intro, uh, I probably should ask, uh, how are you? Um, and I'm asking you how you are now, rather than how you were feeling after Wednesday's game. Yeah, I'm not so bad, Chris. Um, yeah, uh, over the last week, two games of footy to uh, analyse and dissect, two of which not the best watches on the eye, but one of the results has fallen in our favour. Uh, the latter one as well, which makes it even more nicer to talk about because my mood was slightly lightened by that. Um but yeah, university finished for Christmas. Happy to have a, a Monday morning where I can just sort of chill out and uh, kick back, relax and uh, discuss the weekend's football and the week's football with you and uh, yeah, dissect that and um, build on to a, a busy week of football before Christmas next week. I know, yeah. It's all, as I say, everything's moving so quickly at the moment. The days are going by, the games are going by really thick and fast, as I said. So, uh, yeah, let's not waste any time. We'll get into, as I said last week, the recurring uh, theme at the top of every show. The injury list, thankfully, Nathan, I mean, I guess this is another reason to be positive. We actually have some sort of time scale slash a positive update on two players. We know more now about the extent of Marcus Force's injury um, so positives first, Hayden Hackney and Riley McGree look like they're going to be back at least in the squad fairly soon. I think Hayden Hackney's a little bit further forward than what Riley McGree is. Um, obviously, this is a complete guess, but judging from Michael Carrick's comments during the week, it wouldn't shock me if Hayden Hackney is at least in the squad for the West Brom game. I think... Portville may come slightly too soon for him. And then, of course, Riley McGree, who's been out for a, an extended period of time now, really, um, is back in training at least, or is going to be, and judging by my, uh, Michael Carrick's comments, probably he'll start training this week. Marcus Force, a little bit further behind. I think that's probably looking at the new year, perhaps. Um, but yeah, overall... A positive just to know where they're at, but also a, a major boost to find out that finally it looks like we we may have turned a corner in regards to the injury problems that we've had over the last few weeks. Yeah, I think uh, especially after Wednesday night's game, 
a lot of fans, especially on social media, were sort of clamouring for actual time frames on, on some of the players that are out injured and, and when they're going to be back. But yeah, we'd heard pre-Hull uh, about Hayden Hackney um, that he'd be back. I think the words were before Christmas, but obviously the game's coming thick and fast. You just don't know when that's going to be. Um, but yeah, hopefully we'll see him in the squad at some point in the next week. And then, uh, yeah, very good to hear about Riley McGree as well. He's been a big miss uh, in, in more recent times, uh, I suppose, because we did have a, a really good run um, when he was out the side as well. But yeah, really good to have uh, news on McGree coming back into into the group. But as Carrick said, you don't want to uh, rush these players back, especially with McGree being out for, well, around three months now. So, yeah, really nice to have some positive news on the injury front. And hopefully we'll see these players back just in time for uh, that week after Christmas where there's three games in a week. Yeah, and of course, we may even progress in the Cup and that gives us an extra game to think about, despite the already busy schedule. Um, but yeah, now that's out the way, obviously a, a positive, as as we've mentioned Unfortunately, we do have to rewind a little bit and go back to Wednesday night. Um, after Ipswich, you can probably tell by the podcast, the mood, not just from us two, but the across the fan base really was, we are going to need a big performance to get everyone back on track, everyone believing again. And after how deflated I think most people felt following the result of Ipswich, it was always going to be really important that one, we started quickly in the game, but also that we showed signs that, I guess, despite the injury problems, that the side that we had at that stage, because we weren't aware, as you, as you say, we weren't aware really until after the whole game of any time frame of these injuries. So prior to then, I guess most fans were thinking this sort of, 12 or 13 senior players is what we've got to pick from from now until January, maybe. Um, and actually, we did start fairly quickly. Unfortunately, following a, a relatively quick start, it kind of just, well, it didn't really flip on its head. It just didn't really kick into second gear. We just got the first and then decided that we were going to sit back. Just didn't do a whole lot, did we? At well, yeah, all, from, yeah. From, I think from that's probably that. without being really uncalled for. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you score that goal. Um, pretty good work down the left-hand side, actually. Uh, Engel overlaps and, um, yeah, puts the cross in, cuts it back. Jones sort of skews his, his shot, um, but it, it falls favourably and, and Latte Lath just sort of leathers it goalward and it goes through all sorts of legs. Um, and at, at that stage, you think, well, we've got off to a good start here. Um, we've got that got an early goal. You want to build on it. Uh, I think you should build on it. Jones gets put put gets put through, and I don't know how he hasn't hit the target. If I'm honest, I don't know if he's trying to like put it right in the top corner where you'd mark the tiniest little circle in the top corner, and he's trying to hit it in there or whatever he's doing. But yeah, he's put it wide somehow and. From then on, there was there was nothing really going on uh, in the first half. Um, yeah, Hull 
slightly grew into the game a little bit towards the end of the first half, but didn't really create a whole lot. They just sort of had a little bit of a foothold in the game. And then in the second half, Borough were just completely, completely drab. Um, they just, again, lacked any sort of intensity, lacked any sort of in, intent to go forward, really. just It just it was a continuation of Ipswich, really, wasn't it? There was no sort of will to assert themselves in the game. It almost felt like they were willing to take the lead and then just sit back and kind of, if they could retain possession or play a back pass or, or play a square pass, uh, they were fairly happy to do so. Hull, in fairness, at that stage, hadn't really created anything of note for Middlesbrough's team in general to sort of sit up and take notice of them. And that sort of continued really until Liam Rossini made a couple of changes and it just spun the game on its head and Middlesbrough didn't react to those changes. And unfortunately, Hull very much did kick themselves into gear and, yeah, were in the end probably got the deserved result, to be honest. Yeah, uh, I think the only thing that you could argue is they had two chances really in the squad from the two chances that they had. Um, I probably should sort of add that it wasn't so much that Hull made substitutions and outplayed us. It wasn't a case of that at all. It was more a case of Hull made the changes and were proactive. And yes, OK, we couldn't really make many changes off the bench. But uh, Liam Rossini was proactive and Middlesbrough did not wake up to that. And if you aren't willing to adapt and make changes and basically shot yourselves into life, even after conceding the equaliser, then you don't deserve to win the game. Yeah. Um, another goal uh, that gets Hull the equaliser from a set piece, um, flicked on at the front post, and Delap is just got the whole of the riverside at the back post to himself. Dan Barlasa loses the lap at the back post and yeah, gets Hull back into the game. It felt like the game was only going to go one way from then on, really. There was little reaction from the Borough players on the pitch. Carrick on the bench, as you mentioned there, Rossini being proactive. Carrick wasn't even reactive in this sense. Um, there was There was no changes to the way that we were playing. No, as I mentioned, intent to go and get yourself back into the lead. It was just, oh, well, we've we've conceded. We'll just sort of just keep doing what we're doing and hopefully it'll have different results. No, Dyke Steele gets absolutely toasted down his side uh, by Vinagre. Um, he puts a ball into the box, which it's an awful ball into the box. Uh, it goes straight to Barlasa. Barlasa, instead of just being able to sort of get it under and clear it, his first touch is, is shocking. Uh, goes straight to uh, a whole player who just tees it off for two. Finally, who comes off the bench and he buries it in the corner. Yeah, you, you can't you can't necessarily complain about the result because it's what we deserved for just letting the rest of the game passes by from probably minute 20. Um, yes, okay, we had a little bit of a 
a, a chance at the end with a few shots being smashed in one after another uh, in the last second of stoppage time and, and also making a, a couple of good saves. But yeah, it's... Uh, we, well, we, we didn't deserve anything from the game. We performed incredibly poorly. Um, the second game in a row where we just sort of accepted defeat, really. Um, just sort of accepted that we were beaten and we weren't even beaten by better sides uh, really in these That's two where games. all of the inspiration comes from because as we said in the Ipswich podcast, I don't think Ipswich played anywhere near probably the level that they have this season. And again, I'm always honest on this podcast, if Middlesbrough are bad, I'll say so. If the opposition are bad, I'll say so. If the opposition are brilliant, I'll also say so. But yeah, a little bit of credit is deserved because, as I say, they were proactive, they made changes. But in terms of Hull's first-half display, and even second-half, arguably, I mean, they've near enough sat in and around the playoffs for the majority of the season now. And if that's the level that we have to get to by the end of the season to ensure that we get into the playoffs, then... I'd be really, really concerned if we don't reach that level when we have players back because they did not impress. Okay, yes, they were missing arguably one of the form players in the league and their most dangerous asset in uh, in, in Philogene. But, yeah, I mean, maybe they are a slight one-man team. Okay, yes, they come and got the result, but they didn't impress me at all. But at saying that, Middlesbrough allowed a team that didn't really assert themselves in the game to get themselves a win. And I wouldn't even call it an undeserved win because they were efficient. They took their chances. But my goodness, it was just a frustrating one again because it wasn't a case of a team comes to the Riverside, look phenomenal and tear us apart. It was just a case of, well, we've kind of let this happen and we've let it unfold and we haven't really done anything to change it and there's been no sort of reaction. And even we talk about reaction and being proactive. When they equalised, it felt inevitable that we were going to go on and win the game. It wasn't a case of, right, we're going to wake up now and we're going to try and do something a little bit different. And yes, I don't want to keep on using it as an excuse, but in fairness, it is an excuse. But also you can't just let these things happen in regards to obviously we don't have the uh, the luxury of being able to bring on an, an... I never thought I'd say this, but the luxury of bringing on a player like Tufan or Vinagre, who, yes, okay, are decent players in the division, but by no standards are sort of players that come off the bench and, and wowed me by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of them things, really. I mean, looking at the sort of the way that we can make changes, Engel for Bangura has been a change in recent weeks. It's 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 like for like. It's it's nothing. The the, the both very similar players. Um, one of them doesn't offer something that the other doesn't. Um, I think and... the 
probably slight difference is Bangura's maybe is a little bit quicker. Possibly, possibly, but then you'd say that possibly Engel's probably a little bit better on the ball. I I don't know, but either way, it's it's pretty like for like. Um, but yeah, we don't have any game changes from the bench. Is is sort of the uh, the way that it's best best to be described. Um, but yeah, there was a number of below par performances uh, on Wednesday night from a lot of players in attacking areas and in midfield again. Um, but yeah, I don't want to dwell too much on it and, and, and name names and, and, and sort of berate players, but yeah, it was uh, a very much an off night and you, you're hoping for a reaction going into the weekend um, off the back of two incredibly poor performances. It, it, it's not necessarily... Um, being being beat that annoys me. It's looking at the way that we performed. Um and we've been beat twice uh in a row there by Ipswich and Hull when both those sides I thought I'd be more impressed by and I wasn't. Um they both played pretty average and we shouldn't be getting beat. Uh, at home by sides that are distinctly average uh, on the day. So, yeah, really frustrating uh, on that part, especially when you look at the, the, the league table and you see that you're, you're in and around a hull in the table. Um, you're sort of enthused by the fact that their best player's out injured and you think, oh, well, they've got to react to that. They've just been beat at the weekend by QPR, who were, again, below average in this division. Um, and you're hoping that you can you can sort of take control in the game, go into the lead, build on that. And we, we did go into the lead, but we didn't build on it. And, and that's, that's the problem. It just goes to show how lucky we have been probably over the past 12 months that when we got the early goal, my initial expectation was, oh, well, we're just going to score three or four here. It did have that feeling of we got the early goal against Preston and Hull, to put it nicely, looked that bad. They After probably half an hour, yes, they, they grew into it for maybe for the last five minutes of the first half. I think that's been generous, to be honest. But they were that bad first half. And we weren't great by any stretch. So, yeah, I guess you could give them credit for, for growing into it, I suppose. But uh, judging off their first half display, I thought, well, even if we don't get a second in the in the first half, we'll we'll see this game out. But nothing really clicked into gear and, and we ultimately got what we deserved. Um, it was completely, probably, down to us rather than than Hull's brilliance because even if we'd have probably played at let's say 10 or 20% higher intensity than what we were I think even Hull's changes probably wouldn't have made all the difference um, but yes again efficient was one word I used two goals to concede that were incredibly poor from a defensive uh, perspective and I mean, after 
a, a difficult sort of week for Dan Barlasa. It, it didn't really help his course, the two goals. Um, so, of course, as you say, I don't think we need to go in on, on one particular player because I couldn't really pick out one good performance. I think Lucas Engel was possibly the standout performer on the night and he wasn't by any stretch sort of phenomenal. He was okay on the ball, um, retained possession okay and was involved in the opener. But other than that, yeah, I mean, one that more so that you're hoping um, that you'll forget about Sharpish than actually a, a game that just doesn't live in the memory because it was that bad. I think actually it probably falls into both categories. It was a poor performance, but also it wasn't a great watch on the eye. Um, obviously the Champions League was on that night. So after the full-time whistle had gone, there was some sort of silver lining. Yeah, Nathan, let's not talk about it for any longer because let's call a spade a spade. It was crap. Um, ironically, so was the first half at Swansea. And yet we found ourselves in the lead again. And I'm not going to lie to you, I was very, very concerned that the exact same thing was going to happen because, well, once again, we were in the lead and the performance didn't really match the scoreline. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, very, very strange this time. It was like a smash and grab type thing. Swansea... It was almost a flip on the head of the whole game, but obviously... We were hulling this uh, version yeah. of events. Yeah, it was um, in the in the first half, chance after chance for Swansea. Really, I, I don't understand how they haven't found themselves in the lead. Really, um, he has an effort. Humphreys has an effort with a header. I think Liam both, good effort. Yeah, I think I think both the two. That are named, they they should be buried, really. Um, I don't understand how they're not. Um, but look, Borough, the the goal comes from us doing our thing, playing out, and look, Crooks has come on, come into a lot of criticism in the last two games, especially, and it's been warranted by the way, um, because he has been poor in those games. But yeah, he picks up the ball here um, and plays a lovely reverse ball that, that takes, I think it is Humphreys, takes him out of the game uh, with that pass. Greenwood's through on goal and it's a good finish with his weaker foot, just puts it in the far corner and you get into half time and you think, well, we shouldn't really be in this position, but here we are. So let's try and build upon it. Um, sort of limit them a little bit more than we have done in this first half. Try and keep them out a little bit more than we have done, and we we know that over the last few years, this this Borough side will create chances in the game, and you've just got to trust in the forward players to be able to put chances away. And then you come out after the break, and you don't necessarily do as planned and you concede relatively shortly after after the break and I know for a fact that me and you were thinking that this is just going to be 
another one of them afternoons, Chris, where Borough in the lead in a game and it, the game gets turned on its head and you come away with nothing. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly that. And especially, I mean, we'll go into it after we discuss the, the result and the performance, but given, I guess, I'm hesitant to call it this, but by standings, somewhat of a false narrative in regards to our home form being better than our away form. And the false narrative is the fact that you know, we are really sort of can be trusted at home. We often do the job. We often play our best stuff at home and away from home defensively. We're a bit of a joke, to be honest, and haven't really picked up an awful lot of points. But actually, if you go off home and away form tables um, throughout the season, our standing is higher away from home. So given that, this is something that I've become aware of after full time. But before I was aware of this, I was firmly in the belief that, you know, away from home, as you said, we were going to do a lot in a game and come away with nothing from it. And, uh, yeah, when they get the equaliser, again, just so many things to pick up from a defensive uh, perspective. Comes down the left, um, Josh Tymon has the whole of Wales to deliver his cross into the box. Uh, Jones is, is jogging back and, and Dyke Steele's slightly blocked off, but it's not a foul by any stretch of the imagination. For whatever reason, despite being arguably one of our best players on the day and doing a lot of good things, Rav Vandenberg steps up and just completely loses Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe, obviously from probably, in the end, five or six yards out, free cross into the box. Heads it into the back of the Borough net and that levels the game. And at that stage, as you say, you just expect typical Borough, really. Um, yeah, again, just not a real intensity to the way we played. The goal didn't, by any stretch, sort of wake us up and kick us into gear. And... Swansea, again, I, I don't want it to just sound like I come on this podcast every week and say that every team we play against is poor, but considering our inconsistent at best run of form over the last few weeks, the teams that I've seen us against just haven't impressed me. And yes, OK, Ipswich and Leicester are, are running away with the automatic promotion spots and I don't think anyone's going to catch Leeds or Southampton either. But yet again, in performances and just looking at the league, just in general, I just think it's so average this year. And I really didn't think that was going to be the case uh, with the with the relegated sides. And obviously you can see the relegated sides sort of away from the pack almost. But I guess that's why... <laughs> That's why I've been so frustrated over the last few podcasts because, yes, we've been unfortunate with injuries, but I look at some of these teams and I just think maybe it's complete bias and I'm just really deluded. But I think that's... I've, I've come to understand over the last few podcasts that that's actually... I, I just want to embrace it. I, I think I think we should be beating most teams in this league. I really do, Nathan. Yeah, 
I, I would agree with you. It's 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 a funny league this year, um, which it's sort of split in in it's the, the three parachute teams from from the Premier League um, as as sort of your top four and Ipswich, who have obviously sort of defied all expectations. Everyone expected them to be aside pretty much where we are at the minute, in and around that sort of top ten ish at this at this stage. Um, but obviously they've they've had a remarkable run of form, really well coached. And uh yeah, the thing that they've done is they've beat all the sides where you'd expect Borough to to, to win these games. They beat Hull. Um that they beat the sides that are in and around the pack where we are, really. Um but I know it's sort of cliche that anyone can beat anyone. But that is sort of why the league is so tight, because you could have tossed a coin on Borough Hull last week, on on who could have won that game. Um, you could have probably tossed a coin on this one on Saturday, really, uh, against Swansea. I know they're a little bit further down the table than than we are, but yeah, it's it's a very sort of strange middle of the road league this year where those sides that are sort of from fourth below uh, are all sort of very evenly matched um, and, and hence why the league is so tight Borough a couple of points off the playoffs but also a couple of points off something like 18th and 19th place so it's it is a very very tight league but yeah, I, I'd agree with you, Chris, that looking at some of the sides in that we've played in the last few weeks, I'm like, how are these in and around us? But at the same time, you've got to point the finger at ourselves and say, <laughs> well, we're in we're in that position because we're distinctly average and inconsistent as well. So that's that's yeah, just how it is. No, it, it's true, and it's it's as I said, I'm I'm aware enough of myself to know that it is slightly sort of my own borough tinted glasses, which gives me this outlook on it. But I do think in general that, and we're included in that. It's just my expectation as a fan or not expectation, but my want as a fan, which you don't always get what you want, um, that we do beat some of these sides and we've gone off on a little bit of a tangent, but just to finish up on that, before we go back to the Swansea game, I don't think it's ever been, so apparent for a number of seasons that whoever does the best business in January or can get maybe one or two good deals right and done early has a real chance to sort of almost jump a few places in the queue. Yeah. And you often, everyone says it, it's a difficult market to do. And, and, and thankfully, and you'd like to think so again in this January. Middlesbrough have got it fairly right the last two Januaries. And I just hope that we can do that again, because I honestly think with returning players and the addition of a, of a little bit more quality, that we can leapfrog a, a lot of the, the pack that we're talking about. I really do, Nathan. Oh, mate, 100%. Yeah, I'd completely agree with you. I think... As said, everyone's sort of evenly matched, and if you can add that little bit of quality, it 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 and it won't take a whole lot 
Um, but if you can add a little bit of quality, get those injured players back, uh, fit and firing, it'll be uh, it it won't be long before you start seeing a gap to form uh, a gap form in between whoever does the best business in January and the teams that sort of haven't done as much business, possibly lose a few players as well on the sides. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, obviously that is also that may well happen uh, with some of the form players. But I think my real sort of, and in a weird way of taking positives from it, the fact that we're in and around the playoffs still, despite playing now probably a month, possibly even longer, with at times 10 senior starters out of the team and we're still in and around that pack just makes me think, yeah, okay, other teams are going to add in January and we're going to add as well. But when we get back to a level where we may only have two or three or maybe four injuries out, if we can maintain that level and not keep on picking up these horrible muscular injuries, and that could be a topic in itself, to be honest, because, you know, we have been unfortunate, but also these injuries seem to be a lot of muscular ones, which is a concern from a sort of physiological um, standpoint. But yeah, I just think that our sort of team with no injuries is, in fact, I'm going to make a bold statement here, Nathan. I I think we'd be on the tails, maybe he's not of Leeds and Ipswich, but of Southampton and, sorry, Leicester and Ipswich, we'd be on the tails of Leeds and Southampton right now. If we hadn't, not even all of the injuries, just had probably half. I think I think we'd probably, probably be um, in and around that fifth place. We, we'd certainly be a couple of places higher. Um, I mean, look, We've been missing our best player for nearly a month now in Hackney. Um, and look, we, we we pushed Leeds all the way up until up until a red card uh, that sort of spoiled the game a little bit. Um, I think if you have Hackney in, in your game against against Hull, you, you have that energy in midfield to drive you forward, give you a little bit of intensity in that game. You possibly kick on and get another goal. Sort of want to draw the line under the Ipswich one. Um, I don't think he could have probably made as much of a difference in that one. But look, we, we, we've got a number of players uh, that are going to come back into the fold. Riley McGree off that left-hand side. Obviously, Hackney just mentioned Lewis O'Brien. I think Lewis O'Brien's going to be massive for us if he's placed in midfield. Um, look, we, we said it when he signed. He was the best midfielder in the division the last time he played in the division. Um, and he's been really unfortunate in the way that things have panned out that he played a couple of games shoehorned in at left-back um, because of injuries prior to to him being injured himself. And yeah, having him back will be massive. Imagine him and Hackney in there. That's like one of the best midfields in the division. 
take a case, and obviously we don't know how injuries are going to affect these players, but at their sort of pumps, if you want to um, put it that way, you could genuinely make a case that that's one of the strongest midfield pairings in the league. And yeah. I don't offer exaggeration at all. Yeah, but yeah, it, it is all sort of if buts and maybes, but yeah. yeah. Uh, we've we went off on a right tangent and it is all if buts and babies. <laughs> I, I feel I feel like I feel honestly a little bit better that that's just all being blurted out. And a lot of it was sort of just no science or stats behind it. It was more just my inbuilt Middlesbrough fan that thinks that we should win every game. I don't actually think that, but you know what I mean. Um and I've been holding it in for a few weeks because I don't I hate coming across bitter, but I think, apart from the two runaway teams, you could kind of throw Leeds and Southampton in there, but they're a little bit inconsistent. I, I do think the Leeds very, very average. Um, and I yeah. just want the best for for Middlesbrough, of course. Um, but I'm going to, as you say, draw the line under Ipswich, draw the line under that sort of diversion that we've just gone all the way, uh, all over the place. We did actually win on Saturday. Which we should be, a, it doesn't seem like it, but we should be a lot happier. And funnily enough, we win in one of the most hilarious ways you could possibly win a game. Yeah, it's it's comical, isn't it, really? Um, and I, I don't understand what Rushworth is doing, really. I really don't. I've seen I've seen a little bit of debate from Swansea fans about this as to whether it's even. And I think their caretaker manager is it Alan Sheenan. Yeah. Uh, make the case that actually it's a tackle that goes through to him. Well, well, the the lad intercepts the ball but knocks it back to <laughs> knocks it back to Rushworth, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. How many times in a game do you see this situation and the keeper immediately thinks as a goalkeeper, even if it is 50-50, I'm just gonna. I'm just going to use my feet. I don't want to even take the risk. For me, it's not as clear as day as to, oh, well, yeah, the defender's turned round and just played it back the keeper and he's picked up and everyone's gone, what's he doing? But yet, people in the ground are probably still thinking, why hasn't he just clipped it out of the fullback or just got rid of it? It's just it, it's just a rush of blood from the Swansea keeper. And for me, you've got to look at him as opposed to looking at the referee because... You're giving the referee a decision to make, aren't you? Yeah, and the sort of funniest thing about it is, it, it he's not really under pressure. Like Lath's not like sprinting at him. Yeah. To to sort of put him under, but yeah, I mean, we'll take it. It gives us a chance in the second half that we, I mean, the build up to that actually happening. Uh, an attack filters out because Silvera's pass isn't the best. Um, into Latte Lath, uh, yeah, gets played in a in a rush with and yeah, picks it up, gives Boyer a chance, and I think most of us that are even a little bit optimistic didn't expect anything of this chance. Um, interesting to sort of see what we do with it whether we'd sort of knock it back a few yards and then try and knock a shot off. But yeah, it was um, an interesting way of doing it. And uh, somehow it's, it's, it's worked out with uh, 
Rogers sort of just stepping on top of the ball a little bit. Lee Trundle was having a real sort of sense of humour failure about this whole incident. And I'm actually going to come out and say, I thought the ball had to do a full roll and actually move. Has that changed? Yeah, it has. Yeah, well, it has changed. That, so that, it, well, it must have because it was allowed. But yeah, that's. Uh, I, I must admit, I thought exactly the same when we'd scored after celebrating, of course. Yeah, well, I, I remember uh, an indirect free kick goal being scored by Ronaldo when he was at Man United the first time against like Aston Villa. And the ball actually did get like pulled back for him. Um, yeah. So I, I did think the same, but yeah, the rule has changed. It just needs to be sort of moved slightly. And if you actually look, it, it has been moved slightly. It's not as though Rodgers has just sort of touched the ball back into play. It's He has actually moved it slightly uh, to one side. And yeah, obviously the finish by Silvera, he says it's scuffed. Fair enough to him for... For admitting that, but I thought it was pretty good finishing. In all fairness, the 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 gap just opens up for him at that near post. Um, as he said, uh, in his interview, he said that he was sort of sh pretending to shape as if he was gonna try and whip it into the far post. But yeah, just just puts it in that near post and Borough get you get ourselves uh back into the lead. Yeah, yeah. And, and from that point onwards, in all honesty, Swansea didn't really trouble us at all. Um, but of course, the big talking point towards the end of the game wasn't a, a chance. It was the fact that Seni Dieng had to go off injured, which despite our positivity at the top end of the show about, you know, we're going to have these players back and yada, yada, yada. Arguably our best performer all season is now having to go off injured. And of course, it was too soon for Michael Carrick to make any sort of comment about a time frame or even if it's going to keep him out of games. Of course, we're in a situation where we play the Carabao Cup game on Tuesday. So Glover would have played that regardless, you would imagine. And yeah, Glover had to go on for the final few minutes. Caused a bit of a stir, the fact that he wasn't ready um, and he what he took what felt like about five minutes to get all his under armors and his under shorts and his gloves on. Um, but yeah, I honestly can say that I'm not truly bothered by it. Um, I thought he'd have more layers on anyway just to keep warm, to be honest. Um, but yeah, he goes on and we see the game out, and yeah, it did feel, as we said earlier, a little bit like the reverse of Hull. I don't think we performed particularly well. I think we took our moments in the game and sometimes those wins are the nicest. You enjoy them more because you don't really deserve them. And I think I said, well, I put a tweet out on Brockless about the pitch, injury ravaged squad, the winning goal coming from what it did and just a bit of a, a bit of a grim one, a real EFL game. I mean, the pitch markings starting to actually be sort of reined away towards the back end of the game. And I must say as well, apart from the day where Rudy Gestead misses that absolute golden chance to pretty much seal our relegation a few years ago, 
the last however many times we've played at Swansea, it just seems to have been absolutely lashing it down every game. Yeah, it's uh, we were just discussing this before, weren't we? That about grounds in the in the championship, Swansea's just one of them where you just think, in the nicest way possible, what a pointless game this is. Like Swansea away, it's it's usually for the most part in a proper crap month of the year where yeah. it's drab. I mean, last year it was March. Um, for the most part, it seems like it's the week before Christmas, pretty much season upon season, which is just cack. We usually get beat. I mean, we've won the last two there, which I think we hadn't won there for something like 15 year prior to, to last season. Um, but yeah, I think, I think um, particularly... Swansea and Bristol City, the two standout crap away days in the championship, really, in the in, in the nicest way possible. Oh, do you know what, Nathan? Why I'm enjoying this podcast so much. And I've as we've mentioned over the past few podcasts, we've tried to like really sort of chop it down and really make it more so that it's a, an easier listen um and it's you know if you listen to the podcast you can listen to it in two short journeys 20 minutes each uh, i think last week's podcast was 35 minutes this week i'm not taking anything out i'm just enjoying really just being two fans and i think there is a there is a space for that to be honest and not all the time because of course, people listen for probably a variety of reasons, but every now and again, you just need to let that inner fan. Don't overcomplicate it. Let's just slag everyone off. <laughs> Basically, try and slightly adjust our borough-tinted spectacles. Um, and yeah, from a fan's perspective, from anyone that follows Middlesbrough, those wins like we did play, uh, like we did get rather against Swansea are the ones that you love the most. Um, it, it, it's quite hilarious that I'm actually going to say this because I distinctly remember earlier on this season on the podcast saying, Nathan, I don't care about the Carabao Cup. I'm a Fairweather Cup fan. If we get knocked out against Huddersfield, I couldn't care less. We now find ourselves with a chance to reach the semi-finals against lower league opposition. And listen, that's never stopped Middlesbrough in the past. So I'm not sort of taking the make at all. I'm really not. But we find ourselves in a, a real position to go on and somehow find ourselves within two games of, of going to Wembley. Now, I'm not getting ahead of myself. I'm really not because we should just say, Uche, Piezu and Connor Ripley are part of the Port Vale side that we're going to go and travel to play against. And that brings its own challenges. But this does seem like you've got, I mean, the Cardiff one sticks out, of course, years ago. Burton, a few years ago under Pulis. We've had a few of these probably over the last decade and a bit. But again, we find ourselves with a, a massive opportunity. Let's call it what it is. It is a massive opportunity to go and reach the semi-finals of a, of a cup competition. Yeah, it is. And uh, it's nice to have a distraction from the league for, for, for this game. It really is just to sort of 
just chill out from a constant we need to win this game to stay in touch with the pack. So is but, it a moment to chill out, Nathan? Are you really chilled about the thought of Uche Pizzi well, dumping about at the quarterfinal stage of the League Cup? Well well no, not really. I'm since you did build it up a second ago, I do feel a little bit sick in my stomach. Port Vale at the time of the draw were actually on a pretty incredible run of form actually. Whereas at the moment their results have have slightly fallen off a little bit and it's a cup tie all of the old sort of cliches and you know those shouts that gets thrown around midweek going to a lower side they're going to make it nasty they're going to make it difficult it'll probably be raining and there's all the potential of a banana skin but we have shown in previous rounds that we're more than capable of adjusting to that. And I guess that is a strength, really, because you see so many teams in these types of competitions who, on paper, have a lot better players, basically just go to these grounds and fold. And look, it's not out of the question that we could do that tomorrow night. But no, but, Don't say that. but Nathan... <laughs> We've, we've gone to similar places throughout this run and we have proven that we, we do have it in us to go and, and match them and do the nitty-gritty side of the game and, and, and ultimately get the result that we desire. Yeah, um, I think that, as you mentioned, that they, they have sort of faltered a little bit uh, in their recent form, although they did win at the weekend which sort of turns that nicely round for them. Um, with one of their players scoring a hat-trick as well in the game. Um, but interestingly enough, uh, they sort of play three at the back, four in midfield with, with like wing-backs, and then two inside forwards behind a, a forward. But the lad who's up front at the minute... Garrity, he's called, isn't actually a centre forward by trade. He's a central midfielder, uh, and they've left Big Uche out of the side uh, for the last few games. So maybe they just rested him for uh, for Tuesday night. Um, but yeah, Connor Ripley in goal as well. Jason Lutweiler is number two as well. I don't know if you know about that. Didn't know about that one. I just knew of Ripley. Yeah, so three Exborough players there, uh, in their in their ranks, um, and as you were uh, were telling me on on Saturday, Chris, oh sorry, not Saturday, Tuesday, uh, Wednesday last week, when we got Portville in the draw, you didn't quite know where Portville was in the country. Uh, it's in Stoke. And as the old adage goes, can Borough do it on a wet, cold Tuesday night in Stoke in December? We'll see. Yeah, it really is exactly that. That's exactly what's been thrown in our way. And I should say for those that have got to this stage of the podcast and I really question my geography skills, although I wouldn't say it's a strength of mine, <laughs> uh, it's actually nowhere Port Vale was, at least I thought I did. And then when 
draw come out, I remember watching the draw and someone was just not having it that Stoke and Portville were next to each other. And I was adamant it was. And it actually put doubt in my mind that it wasn't. So I just basically, instead of just Googling it like a normal person, waited until a week before the game and asked Nathan, because obviously you will be in attendance. Uh, another game that we will both be in attendance for following the cup game is Saturday's game at the Riverside. West Brom come to town. The final game before everyone just fills themselves full of all the foods that you're told you shouldn't. And I mean, it's a wonderful time of year, isn't it? But yeah, before we all um, open our presents and have a load of turkey, West Brom are going to try and ruin our Christmas, Nathan. Yeah, they are. And um, the manager has previous in uh, ruin ruining holiday periods for us when he brought his Huddersfield side to us uh, on Easter weekend a few years ago. And um, yeah, completely smashed our Easter eggs, I suppose. Um, Chino Carlos... He's coming to the Riverside with his uh, his baggy side, interesting side. We know what they're all about. Um, they have attacking players that can hurt you, but for the most part, they'll prioritise being defensively solid. Very, very resolute sides, our Corberan sides. And they're probably a side going back to our conversation earlier about sides in the division and um, sides where you think, well, we should beat them. These are one side where I look at and I think this will be a, a really, really difficult game in a way that I think they're a little bit better. Than yeah, they're probably all into a, if we're sort of putting a line in between certain teams in the division. I think, obviously, as the league table suggests as well, it goes the top two. Southampton leads and then West Brom at the moment are sort of in their own little category for me. That's just my personal opinion. I guess it sort of reflects yours as well, but I think they're probably a little bit better than the likes of Hull and, and Sunderland as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, look, it's going to be a, a very, very difficult game. Um, I think it'll be an interesting one to see if Hackney's back and if he's thrown straight into the side, um, obviously you want to win in every game, the midfield battle, and in there for them is okay, Yukuslu, who's like your midfield destroyer, and then of course a player that we we all know very well from last season in in Alex Mowat, and look, we didn't necessarily see. Alex Mauer at his full potential, probably in his in his Middlesbrough, uh, his time at the club, but he sort of turned it round a little bit at West Brom, and he's he sort of um, earned himself a lot of plaudits there this season for for the way that he's gone back there and and sort of turned his West Brom career around. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you say we didn't see sort of the full potential. I, I definitely do think that's true, but. We saw even in the first leg of the playoffs, I think Alex Mount was arguably man of the match. In fact, I think he may have actually got man of the match 
on the day um, a, a real useful, useful midfielder in this division. And then, of course, West Brom, as you say, Carlos Corbran um, and his sides pride themselves on being hard to beat, but also will often have one or two players higher up the pitch, which almost get a little bit of a licence to go and create and go and win their team's games, really. And West Brom probably have a... Well, in fact, they definitely have a lot more than what that Huddersfield side had in, in terms of attacking threat. Of course, Sarmiento on loan from Brighton is a real tricky customer. Jed Wallace... I mean, throughout the years, everyone knows what a threat he is in the championship and especially against Middlesbrough. One of those players where I don't even know his goal record against Middlesbrough, but it just feels like he scores against us every time he plays against us. Uh, Grady Dean Garner, a few years ago, labelled as one of the best wingers in the division, probably hasn't quite hit the heights that he was expected to, but still a, a very, very good winger. And then, obviously, Brandon Thomas Asante, who caused us problems in, in the last game against West Brom. And yes, of course, we await sort of news on, on, on Dieng, really, because although Glover is going to play in the Cup, he may well still be in the team for Saturday, but I guess it's all a little bit of guesswork at the moment from us because we haven't even heard from Michael Carrick yet. Um, we'll obviously hear from him at some point today, but we are recording before that time, so there's been no sort of acknowledgement of any injuries or updates on that regard so apologies if you're listening tonight and there's something that you feel we've missed it's just because we're recording in the morning and yeah uh, an exciting week Nathan but a very difficult week for varying reasons but yeah the Christmas festive EFL football period continues I slightly lost my head a little bit on this podcast but it's been building up the last few um, and I feel a lot better for it now I must say and yeah unless there's anything else that you want to add um, we've recorded for pretty much an hour on the dot now Uh, is there anything else you'd like to add? Uh, Just a little bit of a change up to the last few weeks and pretty much the podcast in general but I'm just going to ask you what are your predictions for the week? We never do this, do we? So no. I feel I feel you've put me on the spot and I feel quite uncomfortable. Uh, two wins, Nick. You think so? It's definitely... Def- I'm just going to stick with the theme of this podcast, really, and go heart over head, to be honest. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go for a big week. Why not? Why not, Nathan? It's Christmas. It's Christmas for everyone else and everyone else's supporters, but you're wearing red today. Santa wears red. I think it's a clear sign that he's a Borough fan. So why not? That's that's what I want for Christmas. And as just, well as new players in January, if I'm being greedy. Yeah. Then just lastly, with the two wins, who do you want in the semi-finals? I don't want to get into that, Nathan. <laughs> that, another episode of the Broplist podcast. Like, no, in all seriousness, uh, Nathan, I actually really don't want to even think about it just yet. I, I'll I'll tell you that if we beat Port Vale. Um, but that remains to be seen yet. Uh, yes, I hope you've enjoyed this week. If you've got to this stage, then a massive credit because 
probably in the midst of it, you've thought, what are these two going on about? They've lost their heads and any form of sort of level-headedness has just been thrown out the window. But sometimes you've got to do that. Um, So we hope you've enjoyed that. I guess more so than every other week, what's left to be said is we hope that all of you that have listened and watched throughout this year um, have a very, very lovely Christmas. Um, we all hope that regardless of your age, you get everything you want, whether you're wishing for an advance in the cup or three points. Um, we'd be delighted if that can happen. But anything that you uh, anything that you're asking for on your Christmas lists, we um, we'd like to think you've all been well behaved this year. Uh, you get everything that you want. And of course, um, we all know that Christmas is about the people that you spend it with. Um, so yes, have a wonderful Christmas. That's my Christmas message. If you want to listen to this on Christmas Day, by all means do. Um, Nathan, I'll let you give yours before we sign off and uh, yeah, start thinking about the week to come. Yeah, let's just hope that the borough do the business this week. Two wins before Christmas that sets us up nicely for uh, a fantastic day uh, next Monday and then tee us up nicely for a, a busy week ahead in the following week after that. Yeah, yeah. Well, as we say, Merry Christmas. Uh, we all hope you have a, a wonderful day and festive period up the borough. And that's been another episode of the Brockless podcast. And we will see you again. When will when will we do this again? Not ever, but I mean, in regards to, are we doing it on Christmas Eve? Yeah, Christmas Eve. We'll bang it on Christmas you Eve. Know what? We might actually have a podcast being released on Christmas Day. <laughs> Dear me. <laughs> if, if that's not, not the biggest present from Baropoli, uh, then yeah, I don't know what yeah. is. It's going to go now. It's got out of hand, right? Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. And we'll see you again sometime in the near future. Fire, fire, fire!